1 Corinthians 10 for a moment, and then we're going to look at something in Romans 15, and then you will see eventually we'll get to the book of Jonah. Good morning. Good to see you. It's good to be back. Thanks for praying for us while we were gone. We'll share about our trip next week. Um, it was it was pretty amazing. Thank you. We really, really appreciate you seeking the Lord on our behalf. All right, I've got to get a lot of background this morning. So are y'all ready for background? Are y'all ready for background? Okay. So we're going to talk about history um, some this morning. I want us to see, before we actually get to the book of Jonah, there's some very important things we need to see that lead up to that. And what, we're, what I'm going to talk about in the first part of the talk today will be quite opposite um, when, when we actually get to the book of Jonah as we look at him. So the first thing by way of introduction this morning I want to talk about is I want to talk about the mission of the book. And the mission of the book with any Old Testament story, any Old Testament passage, any Old Testament book, it is to prepare us, these big narratives, to understand better who Jesus is. That is the purpose of the Old Testament. These narratives allow us to see glimpses into who Christ would be when he came and uh, the book of Jonah is going to be one of those as we begin to look at it. So look at me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 first. Paul twice, to the church in Corinth and church at Rome, basically kind of says the same thing with a little bit of nuance with them about things that have been written down. So 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now th- these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So the book of Jonah is that. So it was written down for us so that we could understand, to have instruction as to how we ought to live, how do, how do we understand God. Now go to Romans chapter 15, and let's look at verse 4 just for a moment. And Paul says something a little bit different here. Same idea though, Romans 15, 4. For, what is written, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So what Paul is establishing here for us as we approach the book of Jonah this morning, is Paul is saying this, God spoke to these Old Testament writers. There is a validity to what was written down. So as we we read those stories, we're not wondering, are they true or not? Is this just kind of allegory is Jonah an allegory or did this really happen these things are true things that happen to real people to point us to the glory of Christ and to understand much more about him so Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 10 11 and Romans 15 4 let's embrace the Old Testament these things were written down so that we would know in even in the New Testament age how we ought to walk how we ought to understand Christ and how we ought to honor him so in the book and sacredness of the scripture of the book of Jonah, there are a number of things that we will learn and be reminded of in regard to Christ. One of those is um, Jonah and his three nights and three days in the belly of the great fish is a picture of the resurrection and Jesus actually quotes that story and the reality of that in the book of Matthew. We will also see walking through this that the grace of Christ is amazing and and the Old Testament story here with Jonah just really shouts out that God was already a gracious God and God was already doing things. God was wanting a pagan city that had done so many evil things against him and their practices that God was extending grace to send Jonah to the city to preach to it. 
We, all, we also will see the great mercy of God. That though Nineveh deserved wrath, God extended to them mercy at that time so that these people could come and repent, come to God and repent of their sin. We will also see reminders as we walk through the book of Jonah of the great patience of Christ. Aren't you glad he is patient with us? I hope that you are because um, you know, we are so impatient with one another. But can you imagine being the sovereign Lord of the universe and dealing with several billion people like us? And God is calling us right now this morning to listen to that, okay? All right? <clears throat> so we will see the great patience of God um, with Jonah, um, and we will also see it with Nineveh. And fifthly, just by way of introduction, just uh, of, of reminders of what we will see in regard to pictures of Christ, nothing holds back the will of God. Jonah doesn't want to go, and he doesn't want to preach, he doesn't want to be involved in what God wants to do in Nineveh, and nothing can stop him. A rock in front of the tomb and Roman soldiers could not keep Jesus in the tomb. So a rock and Roman soldiers could not do it. God can do whatever God wants to do because man cannot stop him. So let me give you some perspectives of Jonah, just his life, the man Jonah. Um, let me share some of these. He's probably one of the most uh, known Old Testament characters. He and Noah, and um, they are known that because uh, we have relegated Noah and Jonah to the children's ministry. You know, hey, pretty cool that a whale swallowed a man. How it's awesome. Let's, let's just only talk about that story. But we will see this is a grown man of God, a prophet of God who is running. It has great implications for children. It has tremendous truth for adults because we will see this is a man who knew God and literally runs from God. Um, he's from the city of Gath Hefer. Um, this is not Gath that Goliath is from. That's a city in, uh, where the Philistines are. So he is in the neighborhood of Nazareth where Jesus um, grew up. And so this is the, uh, the place that um, um, Jonah comes from. His name, Jonah Amittai, means uh, Dove Truth. So if you were to see him at school, you would say, How you doing, Mr. Dove Truth? And uh, he kind of doesn't literally, literally fulfill his name. We know from the New Testament, dove is a picture of peace and the Holy Spirit and truth. But Jonah, we will see in this latter part of his life, really wrestled with that reality. He prophesied during a time that Joel, Hosea, and Amos were also prophesying. So he was, he was not alone in being a prophet of Israel during that time. He prophesied during the split of Israel where ten tribes became Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin, uh, became what was known as Judah. And so uh, he prophesied to the northern kingdom and particularly to Jeroboam, king of the northern kingdom, the say Jeroboam II. This book was written and this event uh, took place somewhere in the 8th century, uh, probably um, in between the years of 773 to 756 B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood uh, this took place. Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom, and he reigned 41 years, and it was a time of darkness, and we'll talk about that in a moment. It is a book that's filled with nature. We'll, we'll see later on there's a worm, there's a plant, there's a great fish, there is a storm, there is a boat. Um, so there's great things in regard to nature uh, within the book. It is a book about God and his relationship with Jonah, and Jonah, the prophet, and his relationship with God. 
So if you were to ask the question, who wrote the book of Jonah? Let me give you two perspectives. One perspective is uh, Jonah didn't write it um, because possibly uh, somebody else wrote it about him in in Scripture. Um, It is not a flattering book. If you were to write a book about your life, you probably wouldn't write some of the words that are in here because it's not an encouraging thing. Be like Jonah. That's That's not what it says. Or the other option is Jonah wrote this later on after everything was done. He's reflecting back over his life and realizes, boy, I was wrong about that. There is a lot of personal nature to it, and so it's possible that he did write it. We just don't have anything definitive as to whether he was the author or somebody else was um, about the true story. Uh, He was connected to the tribe of Zebulun. So again, by way of introduction, let me give you uh, five quick things or four quick things uh, in regard to the theme of the book. And the first one is this. Don't be like Jonah. That's the first thing, just tell you this morning. Do not be like him, and we will see that today. He was called of God and fooled himself into thinking that he could run from God and he could find life away. Secondly, is the theme of this, is that God's people should never expect to oppose God and see God say, okay, I'll bow to whatever it is that you want. And Jonah's wanting God to not do what God wants to do. And so he opposes God and decides he's not going to listen to God's word, and he's going to run. And when he's even on the boat, and we'll talk about this next week, we will walk through this, he knows why the storm has been sent. And he's already told the guys on the boat why he has got on the boat, because he's running from God. And so he gets it all the way through, but he just doesn't want to repent, and he wants to continue to run. Thirdly, the theme of this book that runs from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4 is that God will never be unfaithful to his character. There's never a moment where God's not going to be true to who he is. And we will see that Jonah has big issue with God being faithful and true to his character. Fourthly, just message that runs through this, is that Jonah is an early picture that Christ was going to be crucified and actually he would be buried And he would be in the ground three days, three nights, and he would be raised again. The main character of this book is not the great fish. The great fish is mentioned four times. It's not the great city of Nineveh, mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times. God is mentioned in these four chapters 38 times. Every book is about God. It's not about us. The Bible is a God-centered, God-driven book, story, and that is exactly what's going to be with this. Go to chapter 4 just for a moment, verse 2, and we will see what, what Jonah says here. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed, so Nineveh has repented, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? And that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is the main verse in, in, that runs through this from chapter 1 to chapter 4. God will never be not true to his character. And so these things that Jonah mentions there, he knows they are true about God's character. So now I want you to go, keep your place in Jonah. We're going to kind of go back and forth just for a moment before we settle in on the text. I want you to go to the Second Kings chapter 14 for a moment. Hey, you know what also studying this is going to do? We're going to learn where the Old Testament prophets are. It's going to 
I have always, like, okay, where's Obadiah? Anyway, um, so if you get to Ezekiel and you go right, that's where all those kind of prophets are. And, and, uh, and so that we're going we're gonna to learn by the time we're through this where the book of Jonah is. 2 Kings chapter 14, 23 through 27, I want to read that. And I want to share with us now, um, what was Jonah's identity like? What was he like before we come to the book of Jonah? It's pretty fascinating. 2 Kings 14, verse 23. So in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So just stop there for a moment. The Jeroboam that we're going to look at here is Jeroboam the second. There was a first Jeroboam, Jeroboam of Naboth. This is a king that was later, and uh, he kind of follows a line with that, but we call him Jeroboam the second, verse 25. So here's what happened under Jeroboam's reign, and we'll see in a moment this is connected to a word that God had given Jonah to speak, 25. He restored the border of Israel from Labo, Hamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. The God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So let me just walk through this. Let me give you several things that marked the life of Jonah before we get to the book of Jonah. The first is this. He was a servant of the Lord. And, and, and it says there in, in verse 25 that which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. So as God looked at Jonah, God saw, said this, that is my man. Jonah is my servant. He's one who's yielded to me. I am going to use him to speak to the people. So God has claimed Jonah. He has called Jonah to himself, and he saw Jonah as his prophet. And he was God's man, called of him, entrusted by God to do ministry in the northern kingdom. Now let me talk about how would you know if somebody was a prophet or not? Could somebody just say, hey, I'm a prophet of God, and, and so just follow me. How would you know? Well, the scripture gave in the law how you would know if somebody was a prophet and they were a valid prophet. So Deuteronomy 13.1 says this, listen to this. It says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. So here's how you would know if somebody was a prophet. It's how they knew that Moses was a prophet. So God would speak to the prophets. The prophets would speak to the people and say, this is what God has said. So the people would observe the words, they would watch, and if they came to pass, then everybody within the kingdom would know, okay, God has spoken to the prophet, what they said was going to happen has happened. So this was true of Jonah. God had come to Jonah in 2 Kings 14 and told Jonah, I want you to go to Jeroboam II, and I know he's an evil man, and the northern kingdom is really struggling, but I want you to speak into the nation, and I want you to say to them, God's going to bring some restoration. God's going to bring some prosperity. No one's helping you. You're in trouble, but God's going to do something about it. So Jonah speaks that in within Jeroboam the second's reign. 
All of that comes to pass. So watch, Jonah would have been someone that everybody in the northern kingdom said, okay, that's a prophet, that's a man of God. God has spoken to him. He is a servant of God. He is a true prophet. So Jonah would have passed the scrutiny of the people because of the things that he said came to pass. Second thing about Jonah is simply this, and it says it there in verse 25, that according to the word of God, the God of Israel, which he spoke, by his servant Jonah. So not only was Jonah a servant of the Lord, but secondly, he spoke the very words of God. And we'll see in a moment how incredible this is. So he was a voice of righteousness and truth within the nation of Israel. And he would have been intimately equated with receiving God's word and handling the truth and communicating that truth to the nation. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back two books to the left, or actually go to Jonah. And I want you to go to two books to the left of Jonah. You'll go to, you'll see Obadiah, and then you'll go back to a book called Amos. And I want you to go to Amos, chapter 3. So one, his identity before the book, he's a servant of the Lord, he spoke God's words. And look at Amos, chapter 3, verse 7. So Amos writes, and again, a contemporary of Jonah. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, who? The prophets. So here's the third thing about Jonah. And this is amazing. Now, I, I love this book. You love this book. We love this book at this church. But can you imagine what it was like for just to be sitting somewhere one day and God comes and says, I'm going to share with you, my prophet, my secrets. There are things in my heart, and I'm going to share them with you. You're going to receive them, and then I want you to speak to the people. This was what happened in Jonah's life. Now, I want you to make sure that I communicate this clearly this morning. Now, we, we know of the book of Jonah and what the word that came to Jonah. We know in 2 Kings chapter 14 what God had told him to tell Jeroboam II. But it is quite possible that there were other things that God communicated to Jonah during his lifetime to communicate to the nation. So this is, we, I, I, don't, I, I think we, we probably couldn't say or shouldn't say only two times did God reveal himself to Jonah. It's possible that there were multiple occasions where God spoke to Jonah, but we have these recorded for us to understand that. And so here is Jonah. And God, look what it says there. God does nothing does nothing in the Old Testament without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So Jonah would have been this person. He would have been one that God said, hey, Jonah, listen, I have something that I want you to communicate. And God would pour out his heart to Jonah, and he would speak it. So Jonah got to get in on the secrets of God himself. And so he got insight in some of the most unique things that God wanted to say to the nation. Now also... Uh, one, two, three. Fourthly, servants, uh, the prophets were also called seers at times. And so, um, so sometimes they were, because they got the secrets of God, they were able to, able to have insight and be able to see what God was going to do and what he would bring about. So Jonah would also have been called a seer probably um, by the people. He's one who sees what God is up to because he has received personally the words of God. And Fourthly, one, two, three, four, yeah, I can't remember. I'll get them straight here in a minute. Fifthly, um, he would have had great authority. So because God revealed his heart to Jonah in secrets, and Jonah would communicate that, when Jonah would step into a city and Jonah would speak, he would have great authority because what he spoke came 
true. And so he had great, great spiritual authority in the eyes of people. Now, this doesn't mean that people went, oh, Jonah, you're awesome servant of God, because most of the time the people didn't love what the prophets had to say to them. But they knew that God had spoken to the prophets. And so Jonah would have been a servant of the Lord. The scripture says, this is identity before the book. He's a servant. He spoke God's word. He had the privilege of receiving the secrets of God. He, was called a, he would have been called a seer. He would have insight, sight into what God was up to. And he would have great spiritual authority. And receiving these words would do that. Now let me talk um, before we get into <clears throat> chapter 1. Let me talk about the culture in which Jonah spoke. Incredibly dark, dark days. Jeroboam II was a bad person. Jeroboam I was the, if you'll remember, um, Israel split. You know, they wanted kings. And, you know, Samuel told them, listen, you're not going to like having kings. And it never went well. And eventually, over time, uh, Israel split into two kingdoms. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. The tribes to the south had some good kings. Does anybody remember how many good kings the northern kingdom have? Anybody know? Zero. Every king of the ten tribes to the north, southern kingdom called Judah, northern kingdom called Israel, they had zero good kings. Jeroboam I was the first king, and he started a golden calf cult. Does that sound familiar to another Old Testament story? And here's what Jeroboam thought to himself the first. If I can capture the worship of the northern kingdom and we can worship these idols, then the people in the northern kingdom wouldn't go to Solomon's temple in Jerusalem to worship. And if they go to worship in Jerusalem, they might get their heart right with God and it might cause them to want to reunite again and for Judah's king to reunite the kingdom. So what the northern kings did is they continued to use as a political alliance, as a political work on the northern kingdom is to keep people in the process of idolatry. And that's why there's not one single good king of the northern kingdom. Because they chose to lead the people to worship idols and to not worship God. So Jonah grew up in that environment. Grew up in an environment where there was no good leadership. We think we've got it bad. I'm just telling you, we do not have it bad. That northern kingdom of Israel was horrible. There were child sacrifices that took place where they, where they adopted some of the practices in some of the places. They were, they were bowing down to um, the idols and there were uh, worship of bells, which B-A-A-L, the, these idols. And so this all took place and Jonah grew up in that environment. So this is a dark, dark time. So he grew up in a dark time. He was a voice of light. He was a voice of reason. He was a voice that called the people to worship God. This was also a time that there was not silence from God. Jonah, Hosea, Joel, and Amos were all prophesying and speaking to the people. We'll see, well, I don't think we'll see later, but let me go ahead and just say it. So, so Jonah tells Jeroboam the second, he tells Jeroboam, listen, God's going to bring some economic prosperity to the nation because things aren't going good to the northern kingdom. But what happened is, all of this economic pros- prosperity led to them to oppress the poor. So, so the northern kingdom had all this money, and they could have helped the poor. And what they did was, and this happens all the time in places of abundance, is that the poor continued to get more oppressed. And so Amos, so, so Jonah, watch, Jonah tells Jeroboam, God is going to help you in your reign. Even though you're evil, he's going to bring prosperity. Amos contemporary of Jonah, 
sees what happens in regard to the poor. So Amos preaches against Jeroboam II and says, it is wrong that we are oppressing the poor about this. And so there was a voice in this generation, multiple voices calling the nation to a place. We know the prophet Hosea was there. He was having issues with his wife Gomer and what was happening in the unfaithfulness. And so this was, was happening and taking place at that time. So Jonah's culture was dark. It was a time of economic prosperity. And therefore, I believe because he was God's man, Jonah felt in his gut, deep in his heart, a deep burden for the people of God. I think he wanted to see God uh, restored. I think he wanted worship to happen. And so he's preaching, he's ministering, but I believe that Jonah was a nationalistic prophet. We've just had an election, haven't we? And we got to miss it. We didn't get to be here. Um, thank goodness. We voted before we left. And I just want to remind you and I of something that I think is really important. Jonah was very nationalistic, pro-Israel, anti-anything is that was not Israel. And you and I need to be careful that we do not get caught up in this political party, that political party, this and that. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And that supersedes everything. Do we have desires and hearts about things in our country? Absolutely. But listen, if they do not go our way, God can still move. Can he not? So we're not waiting for God to fix the political scene. Maybe God is saying, why don't you get your heart right, church, and actually live dependent on me and not dependent upon the government? And I think a long time ago, we just kind of as a church here in America, we abdicated this role of taking care of the poor, taking care of the orphans to other things. We kind of outsourced it. And maybe God is saying, hey, don't be so nationalistic in the way that you view yourself. You are a believer. And that supersedes everything that you do. So Jonah's culture was dark. Economic prosperity was going on that God said would happen. But it turned bad. Amos spoke against the oppression of the poor. And Jonah likely had a deep burden for his nation. One more thing, and I promise we're going to get to the text, all right? Go to Matthew chapter 12 just for a moment, and then we're going to come back to Jonah. I'm making you do this so you know where the book of Jonah is. You see what I'm doing? Matthew chapter 12. And I will just briefly share with you Jesus' perspective on Jonah. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet who? Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation, Jesus' generation, and they will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now let me give you just briefly Jesus' perspective of Jonah. Jesus spoke of four prophets in the Gospels. He spoke of Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, and Jonah. And he identifies what was going to happen with them with what happened with Jonah when he was put into the belly of the great fish. So what does Jesus do here? He affirms 
the validity and the truth and the accuracy of the story of Jonah. This literally happened. This is not some make-believe story kind of designed to do this. This literally happened to a real man named Jonah, which is a precursor to let us know Jesus is identifying his resurrection, his death and his resurrection with what happened with Jonah in the sea. And just by way of, just so your information, uh, in the Quran for, for the Muslim faith, and we do not hold any give any validity to that uh, but they write of Jonah because Jonah went to the Assyrians which are the modern day Iraqis now and so part of their historical story and narrative is Jonah because he came there and they preached and so so there is Jesus gives here this great validity to the truth of Jonah all right let's get to the text now one more time see if you can find Jonah chapter one And I want to talk the rest of our time here about Jonah and God's relationship. Let's read. We're just going to look at three verses today. And then we'll look at verse 4 and following next week. So what I just share with you is everything pre this book about Jonah. Man of God, loved God, used of God, got the secrets of God, spoke those to the people, loved God. What we're about to read is totally opposite of what I just told you. Just totally opposite. Look at verse 1. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. All right, let's walk through this now. First thing I want us to see this morning about Jonah and God's relationship is the revelation of God. And again, I talked about it a while ago. Can you imagine what it must have been like for God just to show up one day and say, Jonah or Zechariah, Malachi, here's what I want you to tell the people. And he would reveal his secrets to the prophets. So Jonah had already experienced this before, possibly several times. We know one for sure. And so here it is again, God comes and he reveals himself and says, Jonah, I have a plan for you. And God steps into his life for the purpose of awakening Jonah's heart and deepening Jonah's heart in his relationship with God. So the word came and God spoke to Jonah. From the beginning, God has always used his sacred words to speak to the people. And so he would come and he would reveal himself, he would reveal who he is, he would reveal his will And he would do so from his word. And he would say, prophets, go and tell the people, this is who God is. This is what God's will is. It has come from his word. This is how you are to walk. This is what you are to do. And so this happens to Jonah. He's somewhere in Israel, in the northern kingdom. And God comes one day and says, Jonah, I have a new purpose for you, a new plan for you. And here is what I want you to do. I want you to go. But God reveals himself. And so the first thing that the book of Jonah tells us is this is going to be a revelation, not about Jonah. This is going to be a revelation about God. This whole story is going to speak to us about the glory of God and the purpose of God. So God speaks to Jonah, and he will be defined moving forward as to how he, re- how he responds to God's word. And that's the case with all of us this morning. Listen to me, church. God has spoken to us. He's spoken to us in his word. He has spoken to us in these days through his son. And we have a responsibility now as to what are we going to do about that. So it's not as different than Jonah There was this personal revelation that came to Jonah as to what he was to do. 
what, 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 however it was, whether it was a dream or, or a voice, whatever, it came to Jonah. And God revealed himself and God revealed the purpose. God has come to us in written scripture. It has come to us so that we can know God's heart. And so therefore, we are going to be judged by, identified by, how do we respond to the speaking of God? Jonah, that was going to be the case with him. We already know that he had already spoken words of mercy to the northern kingdom, to Jeroboam II. Now watch this. Northern kingdom, incredibly evil, idol worship, immorality everywhere. Didn't, tell their, tell, didn't tear down all these idols, just continue. The kings push them and push them and push them. And yet God comes along, reveals himself to J- Jonah and says, I want you to tell Jeroboam, this evil king, I want you to tell him that I'm going to do a work and I'm going to bless the northern kingdom. And what does that tell us? It tells us how great God's mercy is. Did Jeroboam II in his reign deserve anything from God? Absolutely not. But because God was faithful to his character, he didn't wipe Israel, the northern kingdom, off of the planet. Now, he allows the Assyrians, these Ninevite people, later on to come in, and they will scoop up the ten tribes. And they have, we've talked about this before, and these ten tribes literally disappeared, and they're gone. Now, God knows where they all are because he's going to bring back all 12 tribes in the end times. Um, but they disappear from the Assyrians, who are also Ninevites and other people. But God here tells Jonah, listen, um, you speak. And as Jonah spoke to Jeroboam about God's mercy, now God says, listen, I want to go and extend mercy to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, I'm not for that. Jonah was okay with mercy being extended to the northern kingdom. He just was not okay for the mercy of God to go to pagan nations. And listen to me, believers. This is where we, our American Christianity gets messed up. There are certain nations of the world that hold a faith that we do not affirm. And they are violent. Some of them are terrorists. And they hate America. But we are to love them. We're Christians. We're Christians. We, what did Jesus tell us to do with our enemies? Hate them? He told us to love them. So do we affirm what they do and what they believe in? Absolutely not. But Jonah was wrestling with this, and isn't it interesting that there is nothing new under the sun? So here we are in the West, and we we hate certain nations, and there's things in our heart against those nations, when what should be there is, God, may your compassion and your desire to rescue those people, may that fill our hearts. Now, Jonah wasn't being asked to affirm what the Assyrians are doing. He was asked to go and preach so that they could be rescued. He asked us the same today, that we would capture his heart, that he wants all nations, all people to do this. So the word of the Lord comes and says, listen, go to the nations. And I just want to ask us this question. Do you and I take God's word serious? Because Jonah in this moment decides that he's not not really going to take God's word serious. He's going to kind of weigh whether he wants to embrace it or not. But do God's words shape us every single aspect of our lives? And so he tells them, listen, I want you to go. I'm revealing myself, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. So let's let's talk about, secondly, the relationship of God with Jonah, the relationship with Jonah. 
Now, we know from Abraham, he was an idol worshiper. God came in Genesis 12 and called this idol worshiper and says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark you, you and your family, from you, I'm going to do a great work, and I'm going to, and, and from your descendants, this great thing is going to go out, and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed from you. And that was a prophecy and a picture that from Abraham, Jesus was going to come, and he would bless the nations and the people. But it was pretty rare for God to call a pagan person into the kingdom this way to start that. And so here it was pretty, very rare for God to come to one of his prophets to say, I want you to go to a foreign country and I want you to preach and I want you to communicate. But watch, God, outside of Abraham, for the most part the exception, did not reveal his plans to people who didn't, were in relationship with him. So Jonah's in relationship with God, and because of that, God was entrusting Jonah because he had already entrusted Jonah with some ministry, and he had done that. But now he comes again and says, this is what I want you to do. So Jonah's in relationship with God, and so watch this. God calls us to relationship first, and then he calls us to go. And this is what happens with Jonah. He's in relationship, and God calls him to go. Now, I want to touch on this just for a moment. There is much responsibility that comes to us when revelation has come to us, that there's a responsibility for us to obey it, walk in it, and, and to embrace what God has already said. And so how, how is it for you and I? Do you and I feel that um, we are walking in the truth of the revelation that God has given us? So we got this book, it's come to us, and we know a lot of things about this, but are we walking in it? Are we walking in what we know to be true about who God is? See, Jonah, in this moment, he's in relationship with God, but God comes with a new word, and Jonah just had some real issue with God's word. So he has received the revelation of God, the secrets of God. He is in relationship with God, and because he's in relationship with God, God's calling him to go. And thirdly, it's important to see, is that now Jonah has a responsibility because God has spoken to him and communicated some things with him. Look at verse 2. So he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, notice this, please. Is verse 2 very complicated to understand? Is that a complicated verse? Is it pretty clear? I want you to get up. I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to preach. It's evil has come up before me. And there, I, I, I did... I've been waiting to preach this for about two and a half weeks. I wrote this about two and a half weeks ago, and, and I've been waiting to do this, and I've been thinking about it for quite a while, and I've read stuff, and people want people kind of want to help Jonah and kind of tame this down and go, man, did he, did he not fully understand this? I'm sorry. He understood exactly what God said. He just didn't like it. He didn't like it. Didn't fit his worldview. Didn't fit what he thought God should do. And so the responsibility of Jonah should have been one, okay, God, I'm gone. I'm gone today. I want to walk in your truth. And so God says, get up. Get up. Arise. Secondly, go to a difficult place. Let me talk about Nineveh just for a moment. Nineveh is a fascinating place. So I want you to rise, and I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city. Jonah was go from where he was, about 600 miles to the northeast to Nineveh, located on the Tigris River, huge city. It was about a thousand years old at the time. It's the modern day, it's near the modern day Iraq, Iraq city of Mosul. We heard Mosul quite a bit over the last 20 years or so, and so that's where it is. There are ancient ruins there. I've got some pictures I'm going to show you 
um, next week. Go to Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, just for a moment. Let me, t- let me tell you how big Nineveh was. So this is after he's been in the well. Uh, he's been spit up, or the great fish, whatever it was. Uh, so Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Now if you're not careful, you will go, well, it took about three days to go from Israel to Nineveh. That's not what that means. We've uncovered much more about the city and uh, historians who have researched and read the languages from back there. Nineveh was so big that it was 60 miles in circumference. That's how big it was. It would take you three days. If you could walk 20 miles in a day, it would take you three days journey walking all the way around the city. This was a gigantic city. Let me give you some other insight into this. Some of the ancient Greek and Roman writers say it was the largest city in the world at that day. Uh, The historian Strabo said it was larger than the city of Babylon. Diodorus, also a historian, said it was a compass of 60 miles and had a wall that was 100 feet high. 60 miles, wall 100 feet high. They've also said there were about 1,500 towers that went up from the wall. It was so wide, the wall, that you could put three chariots on top of the wall, 60 miles wide. So can you imagine when God comes and says, hey, I want you to go, that Jonah must have swallowed very hard in that moment. Do you want me to go there and step into the midst of that great city? How am I even going to get in? And what are they going to do when I begin preaching? So Jonah was to go to a very difficult place. It's an amazing structure, old city, Nineveh. And he was to go, and he was going to, watch this, preach against it. But as he preached against it, guess what was happening? God was extending grace to the people in Nineveh, that they could repent because their sin had come up as high as the heaven. God says, listen, their sin has reached me, so John, I want you to go, and I want you to do something about it. And I'm going to be with you, but I want you to go, and I want you to speak. Now, there's always been evil in the history of the world. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9 speaks about, but the sin of Nineveh was pretty big and pretty bad, that God was going to do something about this ancient pagan city. So we see an affirmation of God's sovereignty and affirmation of longing for the nations to come to him. But look at verse 3. Jonah just rejected God's presence and God's word. So verse 3 says, Jonah rose. God tells him to go, and Jonah decides, God says, go east, young man, and Jonah says, no, I'm going to go west. And so Jonah takes off. So he, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now listen. Jonah would much rather see Nineveh slain than come to salvation. That's where his heart is. Just, God, I'd rather you kill those people. They've been our enemy for a long time. We just, that's what he wants. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want them to be rescued. He'd just rather see them slain than come to salvation. And the story moving forward from this moment, verse 3, we're going to see these great contrasts. God's greatness and Jonah's pettiness. We are some of the most petty people. Are we not in the West? You know what? We were in Nepal last week. And you know what? Every night we had internet trouble in our hotel in that third world country. Can you imagine that? We had such a troubled life last week. We are so, so petty, and I put myself at the top of the list. And Jonah's just incredibly petty. God, not fa- God, I don't want to do that, God. And just upset about God's heart to rescue the lost. 
And he just doesn't want it. So he's going to see God's going to be gracious. Jonah's just going to continue to run. God is going to not relent to save Nineveh. Jonah will not relent from running from God. As a matter of fact, we'll see next week that he's just content. He knows that the storm has come because of him on the boat. And he still is not going to repent. He should have fallen on his face in the boat in the midst of the storm. But he just says, just throw me overboard. I'm, I'm ready to die. I'd rather die than do what God has called me to do. So God will send a storm to stop the running, but Jonah just decides to go overboard, and he struggles with all of it. You know what God's word should taste like in our mouth? One of my favorite things that God has done, honey. It should taste like honey. That's what the psalmist said, Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Jonah tastes the words of God and just, no God. That's not sweet. Your mercy to the Ninevites is not good. And in that moment, watch this. Lest we be too hard on Jonah, we are just like him. He decides, you know what? I get to decide the value and the weight and the validity of God's word. And if I think it's something I'm okay with, I'll do it. But if I'm not okay with it, whatever, God. True? It's a hard at times. And it may be an area or a couple areas, and maybe most of our life is okay. But the point of our life is, is to yield to God and say, God, when you speak, um, you've spoken not to restrict my life, but you have spoken to give to my life. And walking in obedience with you always means life. Walking in obedience, disobedience with you always brings death. And in that moment, Jonah hears the words. He tastes them. I don't like them. I'm not going to go. I'm going to do my own thing. And so I'm going to flee. And he wants to get away from what? What is it? Twice it says it. He's trying to get away from what? The presence of the Lord. He just wants to get away and to run. And the depth of his depravity is seen in this. He is angry at God because God is being faithful to being God. What's, what's God's heart? Rescue the nations. Bring sinners to a place in relationship and, and see them repent and come to know him. And he's mad because God is being faithful to who God is. And he thinks that he somehow has some kind of authority over God and God we'll see next week says yeah whatever you run but I win I'm going to send a great fish and it's going to swallow you and you're going to do what I told you to do and you're going to do it reluctantly but even as a reluctant prophet I'm going to do something incredible and so Jonah wrestles with this reality look at the next part let's just read verse 3 again and I want to we're going to close with these thoughts the reckless running of the reluctant prophet. So Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So twice there, he's trying to get away. He thinks if I could get away from God, then I could also get away from his voice. <laughs> You ever tried to flee and run from God? You ever tried to hide from God, get away from God? See, Jonah had already, uh, Jonah should have known better. See, David had written something pretty amazing. He said, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You don't want to sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. 
He said, he said, you search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in from behind and before and you lay your hand upon me and such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then David writes these words. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I take on the wings of the morning, if I take on the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, you will lead me and your hand will hold me. So he thinks, I can go on a boat into the uttermost depths of the sea and I will be away from God. And David had said, even if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, God, you're there. You're present. You're everywhere. So here's what happens. There's this utter foolishness to think that our will is going to sway God from God's purpose and that we can actually run and escape from God is not possible. Never know how is it ever possible. And so Jonah is at a place, God speaks to him, and he's at a place that's not far from this port called Joppa. And so he decides, I'm just going to get away from the presence of the Lord. Um, I'm going I'm to reject God's presence and God's purpose and God's heart for me, and so I'm just going to run. And so he, he goes to Joppa, and it's a, Joppa's a port where Israel, when they settled the land under Joshua, they never incorporated Joppa, this port city, into the nation of Israel. It was a place that Gentiles lived, and they, they sailed back and forth from the east and the west in, in the Mediterranean Sea. And so Jonah goes to Joppa, and I don't know if you've ever been to Joppa before, but Joppa's that first initial place when you step away from the people of God and the presence of God and the will of God and just kind of hang out with people who, who don't think about God. And you're not trying to influence them. You're just trying to get away from God. It's that first step away. And Jonah goes to Joppa, and he's trying to figure out, how can I get from Joppa to Tarshish? And so he goes to Joppa, not far from where he is. And sadly... When you and I get to Joppa in our own lives, we think we are free, and it's actually just a disguised prison. So here he is in Joppa thinking, man, if I can get away from Israel, then God will leave me alone, and maybe he'll call another prophet. Maybe he'll tell Joel to go to Nineveh. But I don't want to do it. But Joppa is just another place of bondage. It's all that it is, and there is no life there just further distance so here Jonah takes his money gets secrets of God I want you to rise and I want you to go I want you to go preach no God not going to do it I don't want those people to come to know you I know what you'll do you're going to be faithful to your character you're going to be compassionate you're going to be gracious you're going to be slow to anger and I'm not going to do it so he goes to Joppa pays the fare, and he's going to a place called Tarshish. Let me tell you where Tarshish is. It's in southwest Spain. It's the furthermost part of the world at that time. It's a fishing village. So he decides, I'm going to go to Tarshish, because if I could get to Tarshish, then God will probably just back off. You know, it's too far away from Nineveh. I won't have to go. God, uh, God really wants to save Nineveh. He'll He'll raise up somebody else. But I'm going to go, and I'm going to live there. 
He's got a pretty diminished view of God when before he had this incredible view of God and understanding of God. But his running leads him to have the wrong view of God. This was the furthest place that he could get, he thinks, to get away from God. If only, he says, if I could get to Tarshish, then I could be away and I could just walk away from the responsibility. And once he's there, God could probably raise up another prophet, whatever the case may be. See, he had forgotten about what his contemporary Amos said. Listen to Amos 3.8. The lion has roared, Amos said. And who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can not but prophesy? Amos was saying, God's spoken to me and I, I, it burns in me and I've got to speak what God's told me to say. And Jonah was not like Amos. God had spoken to him and he just said, I don't have a burden about that and I'm not going to go. And so Jonah gets to Joppa. He pays the fare with money. And I just remind you and I, listen, there is always a price to pay to rebel and run again away from God. It's always a price. Always a price. And he bases his whole life in those moments grounded possibly in the fear of man. He could have thought to himself, what's everybody going to think if I go to the Assyrians and I preach and they repent? What's everybody going to think about me? The whole nation's going to be upset with me that my, our enemies have repented. And he could have been fearful instead of fearing, fearing man, instead of fearing God in that moment. And anytime you and I run from the path of obedience, it will involve us going from the presence of the Lord and embracing the path of disobedience. And let's just stop here. <clears throat> Great seeker-sensitive message this morning. Don't you feel good this morning? I hope this falls on us hard. Because I think it's really easy for us to, 2,000 years later, and this is, 2,800 years after this happened to Jonah, happened, this story happened 2,800 years ago, it's really easy for us to come to the place today and say, that's not me. I'm glad I'm not that way. Well, I would never run from God's word when he tells me to do something. Not me. I'm just all on board, God. And we do it a lot. We just think that we can tell God what he ought to do. And I told you in the beginning that there is a beauty in this story that we will see. And Pam and I were talking about it right before she left um, to go home. And we were talking about out there in the foyer about how this story just screams the love of God. Just screams the love of God. So here's a prophet who's been greatly used of God to receive secrets and communicate them. God's come again, given him a secret, and he says, whatever, God, I don't really care. I don't care. I'm going to choose to harden my heart. I'm going to choose to run away from you because I don't care at all about those people. I don't, I don't really care about what you say. And you know what God does? Jonah on the boat, we'll see you next week, is like, I'm the reason. Just throw me overboard and I'll die. And Jonah has no clue that God has been calling a sea creature to come along and swallow him and to give him another chance. See, that's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called love. And some of us may be in the room today. I was telling the first service. We may be in the room today. And you're in the belly of the great fish right now. You've been running from God for a while. And you're there. And it's dark in there. It's dark in there. 
It may be an attitude, it may be a heart, it may be a lifestyle choice. I don't, I don't know what, what it may be. And you're in the belly of the great fish because God loves you. And he's, gonna, he's, he's trying to get your attention to say, quit running. Quit rejecting me. Come to me. Embrace me. Follow me. And I'll do a great work. Isn't that amazing about God? We have just, he's just so faithful. He's so incredibly faithful. And we are not. But I just remind us, listen. Jonah thinks, if I could get to Tarshish, I'm going to find life there because God is going to forget about me. I'm too far away. And what Jonah fails to realize, that if he would walk the streets of that great pagan city, there would be more life in that pagan city than would be in Tarshish. Because Tarshish is a prison. In the midst of his enemies preaching against their sin, he would be in the will of God. And so what would he find in the will of God? He would find life. And he's just lost it. And you may be here today and you think, man, if, if I just ignore God in this area of my life more and more and more, then God's just going to back off from me. And there's been times where God says, okay, you want to live that way? Go for it. And he lets us wallow in our sin. But he never lets us stay there. He just continues. I'm knocking at your heart. Will you come back to me? And we'll see in a few weeks that in the midst of that pit of the great sea creature, Jonah remembers God. So if you're here today and that's you, here's the message. Repent. Repent. Don't run. Don't run. Don't run. There is life in Nineveh, not life in the boat. Y'all with me? Streets of Nineveh are life. Yeah, but there's people that do bad things. Yeah. But it's God's will. And there is life. It's going to be a great study. Great study. We're going to take it deeper next week on the boat. And so let's pray together. And we'll be... And we'll, I'm going to sing one more song.